Recorded live. Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to My Beloved Black. This is our first podcast, and we have a amazing, amazing uh, woman that we are going to interview today who's going to drop a lot of knowledge to us about some really critical information regarding mental health in our community particularly. So without further ado, let me allow her to introduce herself. Uh, special guest, Evanty. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, I'm Emmity. I'm a outpatient counselor. Um, I serve primarily survivors of homicide victims and community violence. Um, I'm working at the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, Center for Violence Prevention and Recovery's Homicide Support Services Project. Wow. <laughs> wow. That sounds like a lot of uh, great work that you're doing. It also sounds like <laughs> a, a lot, lot of, of work. And a lot of, you know, great organizations and institutions working together um, to address the issue of homicide, community violence, um, trauma, grief, and loss within our communities. Um, And I think the most amazing part about this organization is that it has a partnership with the Louis D. Brown Peace Institute in Fields Corner. Um, which is which is a survivor-led homicide um, support services organization that's located in the community, um, and most of the advocates and staff at the Peace Institute are all survivors of homicide, many of right. them who are from the community, um, people of color. And so right. I have that privilege of working both within that institution institutional space of being in a medical center and being in the community setting, um, which I think is is really important as a clinician of color, for sure. Absolutely. That sounds amazing. Now, MC, I see here you're a licensed clinical social worker. Now, before we go ahead and get into answering all the questions, I just want to take a step back and have you explain what that is, because I think people have this misconception of what a social worker is or, like, a limited limited sort of knowledge and what a social worker is outside of being working for like DCF or DSS and taking away children. Can you explain what that role looks like? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, there are clinical social workers that work for DCF, um, right. but my role is as a therapist first. Um, so I provide outpatient counseling services. Um, and with that comes a lot of advocacy supports. I go to court with my clients, not against my clients, and really hold their hand during some of the most difficult times of their lives. Um, But, yeah, LCs and LIs, for the most part, are your therapists. They're mental health clinicians who are there to provide direct um, therapy services. Great. So now we're going to go ahead and uh, get some of these questions answered now that we know that you're a professional mental health uh, provider in here in the Boston area, excuse me. So, what would you um, say is some of the most pressing concerns facing some of our black women and girls as far as uh, from your mental health perspective? Um, I honestly feel like young black girls and women are often told to kind of like suppress their anger. A lot right. of times when we work with young black girls, um, there's just a lot of different things going on at home. There are a lot of different things going on within the community. And too often I think we're very comfortable with young people being sad or young (laughs) people feeling everything but angry. Um, And I think one of the most powerful tools that young black girls have is their voice. We're very vocal. You don't, you know, if we're upset, we want to say that we're upset and, you know, 
I think within a community, we're a lot more comfortable with showing anger than we are with showing sadness. And then we're punished for that outside of our community. Um, And so when we're constantly being told that we're too angry, we're too outspoken, we're too uh, too emotional, without looking at the source of the anger, I feel like a lot of time it it ends up looking like adult black women with poor communication skills. We're told, Mm -hmm. shut up, be quiet, and or go off. That's it. Those are the only two emotions that we're allowed, go off. (laughs) or be quiet. Um, And so we tend to do that. You know, when we get older, we're going off or we're being very passive. Um, And none of that is healthy. None of that is healthy at all. And it's like we're kind of told, just say nothing. Because when you're younger, even if you're right, you you don't have that right to say anything. You just be quiet. That's it. You're wrong. You're still the problem. Um, And then when people hurt us, we still say nothing because that's just how we've internalized that message. Um, and it's just draining. I see it with my clients all the time. It's like two options of let people walk all over you, let people, you know, continue to overstep boundaries and, you know, just, I don't know, it's really hard to understand. And I think a big part of that work is empowering them to say it's okay yeah have boundaries. It's okay to speak up. We don't have to go off, you know, maybe we can develop some other communication skills to help us, you know, respectfully or appropriately describe what's going on for us or what it is that we have an issue with, but we can't continue to just be quiet and be passive and act like things are okay when we're really struggling, you know, we're struggling emotionally um, and we're not okay. And I don't think people know what to do when a black woman says she's not okay because mm-hmm. silence has kind of been translated to just be strength and nothing really bothering her. And right. it's just much more deeper than that. Wow. You hit on so many important issues. Uh, boundaries is something that's so important, especially in not even in just intimate relationships, but just day-to-day relationships and work with peers and just, that, that's so important and this communication, healthy communication. And I think that's something I agree with you that it, it's, it's, it's problematic in our uh, community and some, some of the things I'm seeing. So for you, some of you who may not know, I'm also a clinical social worker, but I'm here in California working. So that's uh, definitely something I'm seeing here as well. So MC, to uh, follow up with that, how do you think society plays into these concerns that you addressed uh, earlier in our community and how do our communities impact um those or amplify those concerns that you brought up earlier? Um, I think it's hard because so much of it is within our community. We don't have that permission, and I think we're doing a lot better. I can see it just being in the community, how much we're growing in terms of seeking support and services and really wanting to know what's going on, like, what's nor- is it normal for me to respond like this? Unfortunately, we still wait for what's considered, like, an appropriate trauma, traumatic event to take place before we reach out for those services. We don't look at just our effed-up families and, you know what I mean, or environments or school experiences to be enough trauma to seek services. It's like I'll see them for you know, after they've been impacted by a homicide, and now they have permission to talk about all of these other things that they've been struggling with. Um, And we really just need to do better about checking in and 
you know, reminding people that mental health support services aren't just for these, you know, major traumatic events. A lot of times that's just the tip of the iceberg when so many other things have been going on. Like you said, since childhood, you know, adolescence, young adulthood, just so many different stressors um, that we need to continue to give each other permission to ask for help and to seek the appropriate mental health services. Um, It doesn't help, like when you talk about society, it doesn't help that a lot of these institutions only put black social workers in places like DCF. As, it's as if that's the only place that their lived experiences matter. Um, yes. You know, and it's not true because so many of my clients don't want to work with white clinicians because when they meet with a white clinician, that person doesn't know how to hold the space when they're angry. They don't know, you know, they, they're scared to engage in conversation with them because, there's, they're focusing so much more on the differences versus looking at, like, girl, I feel that way too. <laughs> and, yeah, right. You know, it's like exactly. having that conversation. The traditional therapy does not work with our community. We can't sit down and ask, you know, have a one-sided conversation and expect this individual to trust us with what's going on for them if we're not just as equally engaged, you know, and talking to them more so as a friend versus a clinician. Um, and, you know, so as long as we don't, we, we don't create a space for black mental health clinicians, it's always going to be hard to give, you know, black folks or people of color in the community permission and a safe space to seek those services. Like, those two things go hand in hand. And, Absolutely. you know, so I think that's the message that, commun- that, that society is still sending, is that there's not a space here for us unless we want to talk about 51As and child abuse or domestic violence. We don't want to talk about anything else when it comes to our community. Absolutely. So do you think um, in terms of like, I know sort of when we think about mental health and how the black community sort of values it, they sort of undermine it or kind of see it as non-existent or something that, you know, you kind of keep in, keep in within the family. You don't tell your other people your business. So do you feel like with what you mentioned earlier, there could possibly be a way to sort of regain value into this, you know, into value in your mental health for like the black community? Absolutely. Absolutely. I definitely think that it's there. The want is there, especially with the women. I do still, maybe it's because I'm a woman that I still experience resistance from a lot of the men that I've worked with. And I do see <laughs> connect, you know, better with the men of color that are providing mental health services. Um, But I absolutely think the space is there. Just that cultural mistrust component is super real, and it's a huge deterrent when it comes to, you know, our community's ability to say, I need support, because they need to feel like the person who's going to support them gets them, isn't going to be invasive, you know, knows when to turn it on, knows when to turn it off. And unfortunately, that's not what they've experienced. You know, and if they've had any negative experiences with social services in the past in their own childhood or their friends, their neighbors, whoever else, that's just, you know, adding to any type of cultural mistrust or adding to any other deterrence that they have to seek those services. Right, absolutely. Good point, good point. So what would you, you know, in terms of, like, seeking out services, how would you recommend a person kind of, you know, a person that's new, struggling maybe with depression or anxiety, a mild case, and really wants to reach and contact someone or possibly speak to a professional like yourself, what would you recommend for that person? They're primary care providers, and that's 
definitely, I think, something that I've seen working here in the medical center, um, especially for people of color, because that also provides them the space to say whether they want their services in the community or if they want their their services within this larger institution. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because some people don't want it in the community. They don't want people in their business. They don't want a black clinician. Right. And, that's, you know, that's their preference. And so when they mention that to their PCPs or their primary care providers, that individual has the resources. They have their, you know, whether they're, they have health insurance or they need free and confidential services, whatever it is, their primary care physician has the tools and the resources to connect them to adequate mental health services. So I'm always encouraging people, and I'm always doing trainings with physicians saying, ask these questions. It's important to ask it in a way that encourages your patient to tell you that they need help. Don't say, I'm only asking this because of hospital policy, but, you know, how are things going with you? How are your kids? How's your family? You know, anything new since the last time I've spoken to you? Because patients really do trust their primary care physicians. A lot of times they've had the same physicians for long periods of time, um, and they consider that to be a safe space to say, you know, I've been depressed or my son's not doing too well, um, or really talk about whatever's going on at home, financial stressors, housing, anything. Um, and there's always usually a social worker or someone within the medical center that can provide a short-term consult and then connect them to the appropriate services as well. That's great. And what do you say to those individuals who think, you know, when they possibly go seek out mental health services, they'll be, like, given all these drugs and medications? How do we debunk that sort of myth around that? Well, first, there's a difference between, like, a psychiatrist and a therapist. Um, And so only a psychiatrist should be prescribing medications, you know, truthfully speaking. And also, I think it's – I'm sorry, repeat your question. I don't want to go off track. No, no, so just in terms of a person sort of thinking that they may want to go see a provider, but thinking that they may be given a whole slew of uh, psychotropic medications to sort of Mm -hmm. ease their pain and don't really want to be on medication but do want help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's where it's like the empowerment model is extremely important and really reminding them that they're in control. Nobody's right. going to make you take a medication that you don't want to take. And, you know, finding the right mental health provider is really like shopping. You know what I mean? If you don't like yeah. something, you don't stop buying stuff. <laughs> you look for right. something like something that fits you um and i'm always telling people that don't be shy you know it's your mental health is important don't be shy to say i want a clinician of color don't be shy to say i would like a male clinician don't be shy to say i want somebody that's younger who i feel like can relate to me tell them what's important to you and what things you're flexible about um because that stuff matters and if they have that information it's easier for them to find a therapist that's an appropriate fit. You know, it's not a one-size-fits-all. I'm a very direct clinician. I'll tell you that right now. And a lot of my clients love it because I'll call them out and I'll hold them accountable and we name things when we're in this therapeutic space, whereas, you know, other clients might want someone that is kind of less direct and really asks those questions that gives them the space to, you know, it's just different. Like I've 
spoken to other clinicians, and I'm just like, oh, my God, you talk to your clients like that? But it's a good thing for clients. For me, it would drive me up a wall because I like direct, I like, you know, transparent conversations. Um, and so, yeah, I'm always telling people that, even with my own clients, when I do that initial consult, this is how I work, boom, 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 boom. This is how I am as a therapist. You know, how do you feel about that? What are your thoughts? You know, if you've never had any type of counseling before, let's, you know what I mean, really think this through. And if this isn't a good fit, that's perfectly fine, you know. Let's help you find somebody that we think would be an appropriate fit. There's no offense taken. Um, And I think as a culture, as a community, we're so, like, especially, I'll say this, with white people, we're so scared to offend them. We're so scared to be people that we'd rather just go MIA than to say, I'm sorry, this doesn't work for me. Can you help me find a therapist that would be more appropriate? Um, You know, and we don't do that. Absolutely. It definitely sounds like you do a great job empowering clients, whether they stick around with you or not, that you definitely kind of have their voices be heard, which is great. Oh, yeah. I love them. (laughs) That's amazing. Okay. And then um, my last sort of question is, can you explain what self-care or this idea of self-care is and give us your three best tips for young black girls and women today? Mm. Oh, God. Uh, (laughs) I think self-care can look so different from people. But speaking as a young woman of color um, who I think is, you know, fairly independent and whatever else, I think for me self-awareness is extremely important. Um, And I've cultivated self-awareness by kind of like being in touch with my spiritual self. It doesn't have to be in like the religious sense so much, but more so like focusing on like intentionality and being centered and taking the time to really reflect um, has been extremely important for me because we are interacting with other people and on a day-to-day there's all these different relationships, friendships, colleagues, significant others, all these different things that a lot of times we're focusing on other people's wants and needs and their energy and what's going on. And so when things are great, that's great. And then when things are bad, it's kind of like, you know, things change a lot. And a lot of times we struggle with saying what was my role or, you know, how how am I feeling about this and really processing it without involving other people's thoughts, feelings, um, actions, roles, or whatever else. So I really feel like that's extremely important to have an understanding of what works for us, what does not work for us, not based on situations or what's going on around us, but what's truly, you know, true to our individual experience, you know, today, tomorrow, and moving forward. That's Um, so important. That's so important just because we live in a day and age of social media where people are constantly comparing their lives to one another or trying to live up to this sort of, you know, standard. And I think that's so important to do what works for you, find out what works for that, for you and your individual process. So that's that's great. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned social media and it's like, Social media has been amazing in some ways because it's allowed us, I think, as people of color to kind of have our own narrative. We're not depending on the media to portray us anymore. We've taken that control. 
um, and we're not always using it for good <laughs> with, you know, a lot of memes and love and hip-hop stuff or whatever that's going on out there. Um, and at the same time, things like My Beloved Black and a lot of these other um, pages exist that kind of lift people of color up and it provides us with a space to acknowledge our greatness. Um, and at the same time, it's like so social media has created this powerful tool and it's kind of like looking at our cycles and growing up and, you know, all of that different stuff. If we don't have that sense of self-awareness, like you said, social media can get us really mm-hmm. lost. And then yeah. at the same time, we're bound to repeat whatever has happened in our childhood as adults. You know, they always say young girls turn up a Be lot so. like their mothers. Be no matter so. if you love your mother, that's great. So. Work favor if you have any kind of struggles in your relationship with your mother, if that stuff goes unresolved or with your father or with whoever else, you know, has come in and out of your life and that's not resolved for you, you're going to just remain stuck in that cycle and we just continue to repeat those behaviors. Um, So, yeah, I think that's where that that awareness is important. You're absolutely right. Yes, that is so right. We might have to do that on another show, but that that's a very, <laughs> very important point you just brought up. Absolutely. Yeah, so, it's just um so let me see, I'm trying to think of the other one. I think our physical self, taking yeah. care of our physical self, whether that's working out, whether you know, working out is great. I think a lot of times we praise these very unhealthy self care um routines, drinking smoking, going out all the time, shopping, all these different things that I just feel like are Band-Aids. And they don't really make us feel good. They don't really contribute to our sense of self in a long-term kind of way. Um, And it's avoidant. You know, if you're stressed or, you know, you're, you're not feeling like your best self and you're out shopping all the time or you're out drinking or smoking or all these different things, it's like now you're going to be stressed financially <laughs> unless you got it. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, like it's just that whole keeping up with the Joneses and doing what everybody else is doing. But, you know, and I always say, I'm like, go get your hair done. Do something that makes you feel good physically, that lifts you up, um, whether that hair done is you doing your hair at home or whatever the case is, do something that makes you feel good physically, work out, go on a walk, take care of yourself, um, and, you know, really, I always say, like, if you look good, you feel good a lot of times, or if you feel good, you look good, those two kind of go hand in hand, so we can't yeah. ignore our physical health and expect our mental health to kind of be all balanced, it's like the two go hand-in-hand with one another. So I think that's an extremely important piece of self-care as well, that physical health. Um, And then the other one I kind of went towards, but finances. Mm -hmm. Everybody want to act like they got it. (laughs) Everybody wants to keep up. But financial stress is so real. It is so real, and we ignore it because everyone wants to act like it's not an issue. Um. And it is because I look around and I feel like nobody is harder working than young people of color. We be busting our tails and a lot of times we just don't manage it well. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I'm just kind of like we need to have more conversations around that because 
it's just a lot. If I think if we really managed our finances better, we'd be better off individually and collectively as a community, but we're kind of stuck in this phase, again, of the going out, spending, and really just, like, we need we need to work better on, like, balancing the different right. parts of ourselves um, and really working in a more, like, holistic uh, well-being <laughs> kind yeah, of way, if absolutely. that makes sense. But. Yeah. Hello? Yeah, sorry, sorry, I'm still here. Oh, yeah, no, so, yeah, I just feel like those three things are extremely important, spiritual self, physical self, and your financial (laughs) well-being and stability. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, Amity, I just want to thank you again for just dropping so much knowledge for us and just, sharing all this great information. Um, before I let you go, if a person wanted to get in touch with your program or maybe you because you're just so brilliant, how <laughs> do you do that? Um, I'm, my, I'm like, I'm all over the place since I'm at the Peace Institute a couple of days. Um, but the best way to contact me is by email, um, A-R-E-D as in David, A at B I. DMC, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, dot Harvard, dot edu. Um, and always feel free to call as well, 617-667-5658. I focus a lot on the homicide and community violence, but we also have a group of amazing clinicians that do a lot of work around domestic violence and sexual assault um, support services as well. Um, and I would really like to focus a lot more on outreach um, with social work students of color throughout yeah. the state of Massachusetts and really having this conversation of creating a space outside of case management and DCF for mm-hmm. clinicians of color and really helping to facilitate those conversations and using the connections that I have at different medical centers and clinical institutions um, to create that space and to continue to have that dialogue. Right. Now, I just want to give a shout-out to you because I see the initiative that you're moving towards in your agency, making sure that you guys bring in more students of color that are in the master's program. So shout-out to you taking, you know, <laughs> in, your, in your role and doing what you can within your power to empower, you know, up-and-coming young black therapist in uh, the Boston area. So shout out to you for that. Emmy, again, thank you so much. You're great. And if you guys ever need more information from her, feel free to contact us here. We'll forward you that information if you didn't catch that. So MC, again, thank you. Have a great night. Thank and you, Anine. Have a great night. You too. Take care. Bye.